Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. I have a fantastic guest with me today. I'm so excited. Her name is Lois Letchford. Now, Lois was the co-founder of Teaching Students with Dyslexia Writing and Reading Program, but she originally trained as a physical education teacher and then became a literacy specialist after her son failed to learn to read. Now, her passion came after trying to remove his label of, quote, the worst child ever, end quote, to see him achieve actually to a Ph.D. level. She inspires parents and teachers and listeners to believe in themselves, to seek solutions beyond the average, that they can achieve the impossible. Lois, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Dana. I am so excited to be here. (laughs) Now, you also said that you share with your listeners the power of following instincts, mindset, and the value of living in the moment. So at some point along the way, I love all of those things, and we're going to get, there's so much stuff to get to. You know, I'm just wondering right off the bat, I I just have to ask the question, who, who labeled your son the worst child ever? I have to know this. The school diagnostician. And there's a story behind it. Please tell. My son failed first grade. I sent him to school every day for him to be shouted at by his teacher. He wet his pants, he bit his fingernails, and he stared into space. Then we test. The testing at the end of the year tells you that he can read 10 words, he's got no strengths, and he's got a low IQ. And that puts a child into a box. Mm. Can't learn. And the testing was done by the same lady. Okay. We are an extremely privileged family, and my husband's a professor, so he has study leave the next year. So the family goes with him to Oxford, UK. And I decided to work with Nicholas myself. And I start working, you know, doing the normal stuff, the normal stuff, and it doesn't work. I'm getting upset. I'm getting really upset. My mother-in-law is with me and she said, heard me, and she said to me, Lois, put away what is not working and make learning fun. She gave me a chance to breathe. Yes. I start to write poetry for him because I know he's got to do so much. Okay, let's do poetry. Then we illustrate these tiny little poems like mug on a bug and windmill on a hill, all these things. And instead of my child being terrified, he's smiling and he's laughing. So the poetry builds and builds and builds until you come to double O's, as in look, cook and book. And I wrote the poem, Captain Cook has a notion, there's a gap in the map in the great big ocean. And he took a look without the help of any book, hoping to find a quiet little nook. And if you know Captain Cook, do you know anything about Captain Cook? I do not. Yeah. Captain Cook was the last of the great explorers 
who was an incredible navigator and map maker who completed the mapping of Australia in 1770. So we're Australian, so we've got that connection and we've got all these many connections and we're living in Oxford, UK. While we are talking about Captain Cook, my son says two things to me. He says, can I see Captain Cook's original maps? When he said that, I thought, this is not a question that comes from a child with a low IQ. That's, That's number it. one. And then he said to me, and who came before Captain Cook? And I said, well, that's easy, Nicholas. That's Christopher Columbus. <laughs> and he said to me, and who came before Columbus? I am floored. Wow. It doesn't matter how slow his learning of decoding was, which was in snail's pace still, but he's getting it. But hearing his thinking blew me away. So we return to Australia. I am over the moon. I'm excited about Nicholas and his learning. And we've gone from this kid who can't do anything to ask these amazing questions. And I said to her, you know, we've had such a fantastic time in the UK. And Nicholas has learned all these things. She stood there, put her hands on her hips in front of me and said, well, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness! Because the labeling, because I know there's there's listeners right now that them they themselves have been labeled, and or their children have been labeled, and those labels are so hard to overcome because you get in your head that's what I am, and that's all I can do. Mm. That's all I can do. Are you ready to hear the next bit? Yes. Okay. That very afternoon, the reading teacher sent my son Nicholas home with the word saw and she gave him two sentences to learn the word saw and the first sentence was I saw a cat climb up a tree and the second was I saw a man rob a bank. Nicholas is standing with this little piece of paper in front of me and he reads big breath because it takes a lot of effort I saw a cat and he stopped and he went back and he said I was a cat and he shook his head no 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 he said I was a cat and I said, a cat. And he just handed me the paper. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to work out what was going on. The word saw has three meanings. He is using the concrete meaning because he's on the autism spectrum. Kids in the autism spectrum will see the concrete, not the abstract. So when I saw a cat, he stopped because that doesn't make sense because he cut the cat in half. That's the problem. And he knew he never was a cat and the other two just don't make sense. What has the teacher done? First up, the child is dumb. That's why he hasn't learned to read. Excuse my language. The child is dumb. That's why he can't get it. Instead of saying, what have I done as the teacher? I have failed to give this child the meanings of the word. And I've given a sentence, A, that he has never seen, and God forbid all of us, I hope we never see a man rob a bank. That's a sentence that should never have come out. And on top of that, and there is where I'm sorry, I do start to get angry, our family had spent six months in another country and she couldn't find the courage to sit down with Nicholas and she's working with him one-on-one to say, Nicholas, what did you see in England? And you would have had a different answer. You would have a different response. And instead of the child being terrified and getting it wrong, he would have lit up. 
which is what he did when I taught him. Mm. That scenario, how we label and fail to teach, is what drove me. There's a gap. There's a huge gap. And I, what I'm hearing you say, too, is that something I've run into is sort of like when someone's a hammer, everyone must be a nail. <laughs> and so it's like the, whether it's a teacher or a physician or fill in the blank, it's like this is the way I'm going to do it. And so if you don't respond well to the way I do it, the problem must be with you. Exactly. It, that's it all over. That's exactly it. Yes. Hmm. Which is why when I teach, I move heaven and earth to make sure my students understand everything they say. Because we as confident readers and competent readers don't understand the struggles our children have. Well, and we do not. And on top of that, or in addition to, it's sort of like when our kids start to get emotional and they start getting upset, that, of course, being a psychotherapist, I'm going to be attuned to that. And that's going to override. They're going to get very, very, they're going to kind of, kind of tip in a way into fight or flight because they're going to feel threatened and they're going to get very upset. And that is going to circumvent their ability to process their thoughts. Can I tell you another story? I'd love to hear another story. Nicholas graduated with his PhD in applied mathematics from Oxford University in 2018. Wow. I'm with him. And I said to him, Nicholas, I don't remember, I don't know really what happened in first grade. Could you tell me what happened? This boy is confident. He's articulate. He's knowledgeable. My son sat in front of me and he cried. Tears ran down his face. The tongue went round and round in his mouth and he couldn't get one word out. Oh, my. He was traumatized. Just what you'll say. Oh, my goodness. So here you have a grown man who's trying, who has his PhD, by the way, and he's trying to answer your question about what happened to him when he was in first grade and he was reduced to tears and couldn't even mm-hmm. couldn't even answer your question. Oh my, was he ever able to answer your question about that? He's been in therapy since and I I haven't asked yet. But the interesting part is I said I thought I can't answer that now because we didn't deal with that as a, when he was growing up either. You know, as far as I'm concerned, a mother, A, I didn't have the skills and B, I didn't know the damage that had been done. And then you just shove it under the carpet and hope and pray it goes away when it doesn't. And I thought, Nicholas, I can't deal with that now, but can you tell me what happened when you and I learned together? And this little boy, instead of, you know, the, the crying mouth lit up and he said, I remember the poems you wrote. And he named the poems. This is 25 years afterwards. And then he said, the mapping and Captain Cook and the mapping taught me to love learning and I never want to stop learning. Oh, wow. And then number three, and he said, you wrote a poem about a witch's spell. And and then he's laughing like, and he said, I did, Nicholas. And he said, it was just so funny. And we wrote the ingredients to the witches, but I don't remember what that, but it was just so funny. (laughs) When we teach, we have the power to change our children's lives. 
Oh, 100%. So I'm wondering from your experience with this, if there's some young teachers out there that are still open to ideas and they're still malleable and they're still curious and they're still wanting to make a good impression and make a, make a difference, what is something you would share with those teachers that might be listening now or relatives or friends of teachers that might be sharing this podcast with them? The very first thing I would say is you take that little child who is absolutely struggle, struggling, you pull them close to you and you say, you are a future rocket scientist and teach them in that way. They're not dumb. They see the world differently and give them that you're a future rocket scientist and it actually changes your mind. It gives you a chance to say, how am I going to teach them? How do you do it? Through poetry. Poetry engages the lowest to the highest. The lowest kids have to do more work. But you're still dealing with rhyming words. You're still dealing with phonemic awareness, but you're putting it into a pot that every child can understand. And you've got the repetition. You're building the language in the child's brain. Mm. And the child's not being excluded, but they're being included. Got you. Well, and as I'm listening to you describe these wonderful, um, engaging opportunities, I'm thinking that it might be sort of like a, a tutoring situation or something like that, because I've had lots of different guests and I've had lots of different patients and I've had some wonderful teachers who have told me what their experience is like. And many times, you know, teachers are amazing many times and they've got a classroom full of kids and they're trying to do their best. And many times they don't have the backing from the school system and not that it's anybody's individual fault, but it's just kind of a systemic thing. And, and the yes. teachers generally, they're in the front lines, they're in the trenches and they're the teachers I run into are very giving and very loving and they spend so much of their own time and their own money trying to love and teach these kids. And so these, these things that you're giving, I'm thinking might be an opportunity like for something, somebody to like augment what is going on in the classroom or something like that. What are your thoughts on that? What you've said is absolutely right. And particularly when children are coming into school for the very first time, we expect everyone at age six to have exactly the same language skills. Mm. They don't. Here's my son from this high socioeconomic background with a significant language delay, which you wouldn't expect. And we've only found out recently that there is a genetic proportion in his brain where he's not, his hearing is not, proper, is not formed properly. Then on top of that, he had ear infections from age 8 to 18 months. And that loss of hearing leads to a loss of language. Hmm. You can't hear it. You can't do what other children do. So you've got this line at age five or six as children go into school. What's underneath that? Those that learn to read to ease have reached this line and will fly. Those that are underneath need to have it built up. And how do you do that? Through language, through poetry, through books, and help them build the language. And that's what we expect all the way through school, really. But really has to be built more with these children who cannot hear adequately. Mm -hmm. I understand that 100%. 
I actually had several, uh, I had tubes in my ears. I had three sets of tubes actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can, I can re- remember that. I remember my mom standing behind me talking and I, I didn't hear her. She was literally standing right behind me and I could not hear her speak because my ears were so full of fluid that when I, when I spoke myself, it sounded like I was deep in a barrel and it sounded that way so much. I didn't like the way it sounded. So I stopped talking and I, and I couldn't really hear the people around me because of all the fluid. And it was and that and had, you know, three sets of tubes to just drain all that fluid out. So it's a that's a significant issue. What I remember when Nicholas was a tiny baby, you know, three months old and putting him on the change table, he would never roll. I remember and just being shocked that he won't move. I know he won't move. And that was a problem with his hearing and vestibular Mm. system. That wasn't diagnosed, wasn't acknowledged. Wow. So yeah. much going on that you don't know about as a parent. You're trying your best, but you don't know. You don't know what you're experiencing, what the child is experiencing. So let me ask you this. You had, we had mentioned earlier about how you emphasize the power of following instincts, which I'm, I'm hearing kind of coming in what you're saying now, and also mindset and the value of living in the moment. So how do you see these things playing into a, a parent with a child that has some issues? What do you see? What is the power in these different areas? Following your instinct is acknowledging, okay, the child's got problems, but where we are in that school setting is not working for him. What do I get upset about now? that I left my child go to school every single day to fail and be shouted at. Mm. I should have done something about that. And then when I went to teaching him, I any program did not work with Nicholas. My instinct was, how am I going to solve this problem? That's the instinct I went with. And that was the one that transformed his life and my life. I want to pause for just a moment before you continue on with the rest of the answers and say, I so admire and and it was just in kind of an awe that you instead of saying oh well this is this is the level that my child is at my child has been tested by professionals and found to be on on this very low level I just have to learn to accept that and not expect too much from him and just kind of go with the flow and just accept that information rather than just accepting that and moving on which I could totally understand if somebody were to do that. I mean, a professional came and tested him, but instead of doing that, you went beyond, you were, okay, I need to find a solution. Mm-hmm. I do not accept mm-hmm. that. I know my child. Like you said, I'm, my instinct is this, something's off here. This is not right. This is not what I see in my child. And I hear you saying that you really were pushing to find solutions, mm-hmm. even though you were told there were none. Mm-hmm. And I went beyond decoding. Okay, yes, he has a problem with decoding. Yeah, and he's really slow with it. And he, like you say, he had a real problem with with uh, consonant blends, PL, PR, and the difference between a word like pay and play and puree as, you know, one letter. They don't hear it. Mm. And we didn't get stuck in decoding, but I went with with the knowledge and the thinking 
And when we got to the knowledge and the thinking, these little words became so important and so powerful. And they, you know, they matter. And so it's a different way of thinking. Don't get stuck on decoding. Go around it. Yes, we have to teach it, but we'll find a way around the problem. It happened by mistake that the poetry came first and the poetry was what he loved and the decoding came second. So that was my instinct, just to follow it. And when it worked, I followed it. He did it. (laughs) So is that what you meant by mindset? Is like Yes, mindset, how we see our children. Like I said before, you can look at that child and say he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching and then say, well, he's never going to learn because of that. But when you change the thinking around our children, we change our mindset, which allows us to say, well, this child is not stupid. How are we going to teach them? Our children are six and seven. They're at the very beginnings of their lives. Why are we putting them in a box? Mm-hmm. I've taught children who was 13. My first student I had in Lubbock, Texas, was 13 years old. He'd spent four years in a phonics-only reading program. And it came to me like this. He couldn't read a thing. The word lick, the word like, he would spell L-I-C-K after four years. Wow. And I taught him to read. And every year he got better and every year he got taller. (laughs) And his shoulders, you know, and it's going from I can't to I can. So our mindsets, how we see our children, is it's critical to their future. We can teach them to believe. So what do you believe about yourself and about the child? Do you believe you can teach that child? Do you believe the child is teachable? Are you able to do it? You the teacher. And when it doesn't work, change it. When they get cranky with you or they do something, change it. There are ways around the problem. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to, ask you to tell me you talked about the value of living in the moment because I talk about this a lot with my patients and I'm a huge huge you know supporter of that kind of mindset so what is your reason why you wanted to point out the power of living in the moment when we were in Oxford in 1995 inside me working with this little boy who's making millimeters of progress in decoding I'm panicked, you know, that he should be doing X, Y, and Z, and he's not. The other side where he's learning about Captain Cook and asking these amazing questions was so exciting, but I'm still terrified Mm -hmm. because my son can't do what other kids can do. And I think I wished I would have valued more of the positives and ignored the weaknesses because look where he ended up. Look what we were able to do in that time rather than panic and forget the panic. Okay, Lois, you know, whatever. And I think we have to do more of just being thankful for what we've got and the progress that we're making today because we don't know what tomorrow holds. 
No, we don't. And I'm so appreciative of your willingness to acknowledge the panic, because I think sometimes when you, when I have, you know, guests on my podcast, their tendency sometimes is to focus on all their, their accomplishments, you know, the, the Phoenix part. But the reason why I call my podcast Phoenix and Flame is because I am equally interested in the actual fire and what what was the fire and how did it make somebody feel when they were sitting in it, when they were being burnt to ash? Because that's what's going to help us feel like we've all been there. And so what I'm hearing you say is, yes, there was that time where you were panicky because I'm wondering, I'm probably having listeners who are walking this leg of their life journey with, with their child or someone they love, and they are panicked. panicked. And so what I'm hearing you say is, is one of the things to help them with that panic is just to try to slow it down and just stay in the moment. Just slow the roll, stay in the moment. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, and love all the kids. And I think you have to believe that things will change or that what you're doing now will change tomorrow. And I don't think I believe that enough. I have a, a friend who read my book and she was with us, our children are the same age, with us as I was going through the journey. And she said to me, Lois, you underestimated in your book how much pain you were in at the time. I don't think you've told it truly. I think you are in much more pain than your book suggests. Mm-hmm. And all I can say is you're right. You're right. I, mm-hmm. The pain when children don't conform is just unbelievable. Well, and I know that, that your emphasis is on, you know, the learning side and reading, and that's your huge passion. And we all have that. Mine is boundaries. I'm known as the queen of boundaries. And we all have, you know, find our, our passion but I think also, as I was listening to your or reading your biography and, and, and learning about you, I, I couldn't help but also think about the comparison and the pain that that parents have when their children do not conform in other areas other than academic. You know, maybe it's a social conforming or, or something and... And they're seeing on social media and such where everyone, their peers, the other parent peers are posting all of their pictures of their children doing this and that and the other, and their child is not. Maybe their child is different socially or, you know, different in in other kind of ways, struggling maybe with gender identity, or there's all Mm -hmm. kinds of things out there in the world right now that Mm -hmm. children are struggling with. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, and I wanted to take a moment to get your thoughts on on that, when that struggle that parents have, when what that feels like as a parent, when your child is not the same as the other kids. I have three sons. Number three has this very struggle now. Adult, as an adult. Now, what was your question again? (laughs) Well, we're talking about when our kids aren't like everybody else's kids seem to be. And it could you can fill in the blank. It can be that they can't read as well mm-hmm. or they're not as good in, in you, you know, you started out as a physical education teacher. Maybe they're not very good athletically or maybe they're not good in dance class or they're not mm-hmm. socially, they're not engaged socially. Maybe they don't have as many friends. Maybe they're not getting invited to parties or, and as they get older, it's, you know, maybe they choose not to go to college or they choose different things or they choose to have, 
you know, their their romantic interests are off the beaten path from society's general or something like that. I think as parents, we we kind of think that our kids are going to be just like the run of the mill of the kids in society, in our community, but that's not always the case. case. And I wanted to get your, your take and your thoughts on, on that of what it feels like as a parent and, and how to help maybe some listeners out there are parents and their children are different than the common societal expectations. I need help. <laughs> it's a struggle, is it not? <laughs> I wish I wish I had answers for you, you know, because it's my sons are in their thirties. I don't have answers. My eldest son learns at the speed of light, speaks at the speed of light, thinks at the speed of light. My second son strive so hard his mathematical ability is in the top 99 percent his language speaking ability places him on the second percent and the third one doesn't have the social skills and as a family how do you negotiate this that's it right a huge challenge it's a huge challenge and so i can only live for today and and be thankful for today because you don't know what tomorrow brings you know what? I tell you, my my experience as I have three kids of my own and my experience as a mother and a psychotherapist and just kind of who I am as an individual, what I have learned and what's helpful to me is I do not judge. I, I feel like everybody is put on this planet for different reasons. Yeah. And we are not to say why they have been put on this planet and to not not judge ourselves or our kids or other people and just to try to be very accepting and loving just to provide that loving place and for our children to provide that loving nest where they can be themselves and they can be honest and they can tell the truth and we just we listen i love that Yes, so that's what we have to do. And, I, you know, as you talk, I think I have to do more listening and encouraging, particularly the youngest, to do more talking with us. Mm. And we are to just accept. Yeah. Just accept. It's, accept. And it's, I think it's very hard. It's very it hard. is hard, but you know what? We don't have the answers to everything. No. no. And I think sometimes as parents we get in this mindset where we feel like we have to have the answers, but we don't. We don't. We don't. No. And we can listen and just say, gosh, that sounds, that sounds really horrible. Yeah. That, that, you yeah. know, I can imagine that if, if, that if I went through that, it would be awful. I, my heart goes out to you. That sounds like that was a terrible experience today. I love that. And I think we as parents need to have more of these answers, these phrases in it. That was a terrible experience. And that must make you feel really bad because mm-hmm. it's just happened recently. Yeah, to yeah. my son. And stock up on, on knowing what to say before we talk to our children who are more difficult. Just like I hear you. Yeah. And just yeah. make that eye contact and just like yeah. and nod our head and go, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that sounds awful. Yeah. And, and we don't of, have an answer. A lot of it is against my thinking. You know, you, like you say, you go in as a parent and you're going to solve their problem and you can't. 
Uh-huh. You can't do it. And even with children who, who don't learn to read with easily, you not always, you don't always have the answers. You can't always find the way out. It's uh-huh. not that simple. And if you don't have funding when you've got a child like Nicholas, I, uh, that's, that's really, that's another story. Mm-hmm. But it, it, the t- the mental effort it takes on the part of particularly the mother with children who are difficult is huge. Yes, it is. And I'm going to throw this last comment in, and then I'm going to make sure that we get our, our listeners kind of funneled to where they can find more about you and, and what you offer, because your website is amazing. I visited oh, that. You. It's it's so it's so comforting, and and you offer ways of helping people, and it's yeah. just fantastic. Now, listeners, I'll t- I'll tell you about that in just a minute. So it's just you know, I think lots of times as parents, we're looking around at other parents and what what their kids seem to be doing, and we are we're doing the comparison thing. Yes, we let's just be honest about that. Yes, we have yes. to be honest, and so that's the truth. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Each person is walking their own path. And furthermore, as a psychotherapist, I can tell you sometimes I will have people come in and think that other people are doing fantastic. And I'm like, you don't understand. I have doctors. I have lawyers. I have CEOs. I have nurse practitioners. I have all kinds of people in my office. And let me tell you something out there walking down the sidewalk with their sunglasses on and they're nice shoes, and they might look like they've got it all together. And you might look at them and think, gosh, I wish I was like them. I wish I had my life together like they do. But little do you know, they just left my office 30 minutes ago. Everybody is struggling with something because we're all human beings. Yes. And so just we can stop the comparison thing and recognize everyone's different. Everyone's walking their own path. We have our path, they have their path, and we don't have to be judgmental of anybody and just accept. Yes. Just I accept love that. it. It is what it that. is, you know? Now, let me make sure I have this right. Your website is your name, Lois Letchford, L E T C H F O R D dot com. Perfect. Yes. Okay. So is that where you want the, the listeners to go to find more about you, to get connected yes. with you, to get help yes. from you, that kind of stuff? Yes easy and I offer a a zoom call a free zoom call first up so that we get to know each other and get to know where your child is and to see if I can help them I help the vast majority and just even for parents to talk and connect and know you're not alone is really important what else can you do do you want to work with me individually or can you work with your child at home and then just connect with me once every so often that I mean, that support would be absolutely amazing because then mm-hmm. you're able to calm the parent down and give the parent encouragement and support so then they can calm down yeah. and in turn help their child and be more relaxed about it. So their anxiety doesn't transfer to their child and you will be able to help them do that. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's such a gift. You said that because that's exactly what happened when Nicholas learned to read. You know, I was still anxious. I was calm with him, but there's anxiety inside. That's it. Oh, <laughs> Lois, this has been so much fun talking with you. We have had a blast today. Thank you. I am so appreciative of you being willing to spend your time and your effort and energy to come on Phoenix and Flame and share your expertise with my listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dana. I'm delighted. Connect with me. <laughs> 
We will definitely do that. Now, listeners, I know that you have heard multiple things today that you're thinking, oh, this is amazing. You might have, let's see, we're show, okay, you got a, your book is Reversed a Memoir. Yes. I love that. Okay, so keep yes. that in mind, listeners. Reversed a Memoir. Yeah. All right, can they get that on your website? Uh, you've got to go to Amazon. I'll, Amazon. I, there might be a link. I think there should be a link on my website to Amazon, but it's available at Amazon. And get it now because the prices are going up in June because Kindle have upped their prices. Oh, okay. Got it. Yes. Okay. Well, listeners, take this episode and share it. Share it to your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your coworkers. Copy and paste it in text and email. Put it on your favorite social media platforms. Get the podcast episode out there. So share it with people that can benefit from this. Again, I'm always encouraging us to grow our Phoenix and Flame community so we can reach out and work with one another, support each other, be honest with one another, and know that we're all struggling with something. It's okay. We can come together. We can connect and we can love each other and know that we can we can get through this and we can we can rise from the ashes and transform. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.